The tallest tree in the United States is a redwood. In the redwood forest of California, it stands at 379.1 feet, and it is thousands of years old. And if we could cut that tree in half and take a look at the rings of that tree, oh, the story we would see. We would see when there were seasons of water, a plenty and great growth, and we would see when there was very little water and not much growth. And we would see when lightning struck that tree, and we would see when forest fires ravaged nearby. The rings of the tree tell a story. And if that is true, God has taken such care to wire that into the very fiber of creation. How much more is it true for you and me that the rings of our soul tells a story? And if we peeled back the layers, we might see just what that story is. Times of great joy and abundance, the perfect mix of everything we need to thrive in the fullness of life, which is exactly God's heart for you and for me. But we'd also see times of worry and pain, and maybe for some, times of trauma or abuse, poverty and angst. And this morning, we are beginning a three-week series where we endeavor to pull back the layers focusing on healing, inspired by a book titled Healing for Damaged Emotions, written by Dr. David Siemens, a pastor and a professor at Asbury Seminary years ago in the late 60s and 70s. And this series is going to have us look at guilt, grace, and forgiveness. Next week, we'll look at perfectionism. Finally, we'll look at self-surrender, versus low self-esteem. And we think about healing, and we pray for physical healing, and we've seen that effect in the lives of our children. Some have stories personally to tell. We've heard other stories of miraculous healing. But we're really talking about inner healing, healing from the inside out, experiencing the presence of Jesus in such a way that the Holy Spirit is that balm that soothes our soul and heals our wounds and brings healing to those broken or damaged areas of our lives. We're talking trauma, bondage, resentment, grief, all of those emotional hurts that we carry around on the inside. This series, this three weeks that we have in front of us, is an opportunity to carry all of that to Jesus. And it takes real courage. And so we begin today by focusing on guilt, grace, and forgiveness. Now, guilt comes when we realize we have done something wrong, and there is an obligatory shame that rules our life. And we're motivated by the things we ought to do or the debts that we need to pay off. And if you're sitting there feeling like, I can relate to this, maybe a little bit overwhelmed, maybe like, this is impossible, cut yourself some slack. Give yourself some grace because God knows he's got enough grace for everybody in the room and then some. The parable that Adam read was meant to be an exaggerated story of how human dynamics operate in the realm of forgiveness and unforgiveness. 
And so there was this king who wanted to settle all of his accounts. And he came across one account with one of his servants who owed him an extraordinary amount of money. Some of our versions read uh, 10,000 bags of gold. Some of them read 10,000 talents, which is about 20 years worth wages. And it's hard to say how much money that translates into because a talent fluctuated based on the monetary system of that particular time and period of time. But Jesus' audience knew exactly what he meant. This was a ridiculous amount of money, astronomical. The debt on that servant's account would have been impossible to repay. Dr. David Siemens wrote, a person's debt to God and to others is so great that it can never be paid back any more than a servant working for a few cents a day could ever save up enough money to repay a debt of $10 million. That's the amount of money we're talking about in this story. And in the story, that servant fell to his knees and he begged for time. He asked this king for patience while I work to repay this debt, a debt that he would never, ever see paid off in his lifetime, never, wasn't even in his means to pay. His idea of forgiveness was one thing, just give me time and I'll handle it, knowing fully that he could not handle it at all. The king's idea of forgiveness was altogether different, so moved with compassion, literally affected deeply in his inner being. And we're not talking, the king didn't think, that's sweet. This chap doesn't have it, but look what he's trying to... The king was moved by compassion such that he forgave that servant's debt entirely. Pity he had. That servant was forgiven and free, liberated from this debt. And if the story had ended there, our hearts would be all warm and fuzzy. But that servant... In verse 28, no sooner had he left the king's presence did he find one of his fellow co-workers who owed him a hundred bags of silver, which truly in that day was like a day's wage, and it came to, compared to that debt that he had, peanuts. That servant took his co-worker by the throat, and he began to choke him. And your guess is as good as mine as to, why so graphic? But I think there's a point to be made. The co-worker asked the same thing of that servant that he asked, the servant asked of the king, be patient with me, give me time, I'll pay you back everything. And his payback was very doable. But that unmerciful servant, verse 30, he refused, showed no mercy to his co-worker and had him thrown in prison, threw away the key and word got back to the king who then had harsh words for the unmerciful servant. In fact, it says, verse 32, this wicked servant who didn't get it. That servant asked the king for time, not forgiveness, which is, in fact, ludicrous. And the king's like, there's no way. Let me just erase the debt. But then in turn, the servant did not reciprocate. He is not living out of the joy of what he's been released from. 
There's this obligatory shame that's still ruling his life, driven by guilt. He's debt collecting, and ultimately the king punished this unmerciful servant for his cruelty to his co-worker. And it says, in the king's anger, he threw that wicked servant to prison to be tortured until the entire debt was paid off. Tortured. Now, being thrown in prison is one thing. And again, I'm like, why so graphic? Tortured, goodness. We've already established that the debt this servant had to repay the king was ridiculous, a ridiculous amount of debt. How long is it going to take to pay that debt off? Not enough time in that servant's life to pay that debt off. And if that weren't enough, the next statement is the real shocker. Maybe it will sober us all up. Verse 35, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or your sister from the heart. This is what my heavenly father will do to you unless you forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Now, Maybe that statement was as exaggerated as the sum of money was, or maybe it speaks into the dynamics of human relationships and the confines of the human condition. The unforgiven and unforgiving person is plagued with guilt and resentment. He lives in a prison house where he finds himself tortured by all manner of inner emotional conflicts. We're talking guilt is fueling and driving everything this servant did, even after he experienced this erasing of debt. Guilt fuels obligatory debt collecting. It's motivated by shame. There are two things at least two things that keep us from experiencing the kind of healing that we're talking about, the kind of freedom that Jesus offers each and every one of us. One is the failure to receive forgiveness. The failure to receive God's unconditional grace and forgiveness. I mean, we talk a good game about saved by grace through faith and what we want to practice but we don't often live that out. A.W. Tozer is an author, pastor, who described it as the perpetual penance of regret. That shame in our life has us living lives of regret, and we are unable to receive this forgiveness. It's like if someone really knew the secrets that are in my heart, if someone really knew the things that we did. If they really knew who I was, there's no way they could ever love me, extend grace to me, forgive me. I mean, some of us in this room have cheated. Some of us have cut corners. Some of us are struggling with addiction, whether it's substance or things we give our eyes to. And there's a plague on us of shame that's like, I have no right to be happy or to enjoy life. 
awful. If there is no forgiveness from God unless we forgive our brother and sister from the heart, don't you think that applies to us as well? Love your neighbor as you love yourself? We've got to receive forgiveness, God's grace, God's forgiveness. And then the other thing that keeps us from experiencing this healing, this forgiveness, uh, freedom, is the failure to give forgiveness. The failure to give that unconditional grace, love, and forgiveness that we've received, that we have been shown. Every Sunday, we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses. What? What if he did? Forgive us our trespasses. As we forgive those who trespass against us, sounds a lot like, that's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The failure to forgive can be debilitating. The unforgiven and the unforgiving are riddled with guilt and anxiety, stress and resentment. And who knows how that plays itself out in our lives mentally, physically, Dr. David Belgium once commented that most of our physical symptoms of illness are involuntary confessions of guilt. What if that's true? Most of our physical symptoms of illness are involuntary confessions of guilt. The physical toll of our emotional unhealth, all because we are unwilling to receive the love that God has for us, unwilling to give the love that God has given us to others. Charles Kraft put it like this in one of his books, the emotional pain, the mental and physical effects is just like the rats in the back alley who are consuming garbage in the alley. And all of the garbage in the alley is our hurt our past trauma, our pain and experience, the damage done to us that's trashed our life. How silly would it be to go and deal with the rats and leave the garbage so that more rats can come and tend to that garbage? Ridiculous. The very thing that manifests itself in our emotional guilt, the confines of our pain, is the very thing that attracts the rats. So if we want healing from the inside out, we've got to deal with the trash. We've got to face with courage those events that cause such pain in the first place. And that's what's essential for the healing of our damaged emotions. And so let me ask you, have you received this gift of God's grace and forgiveness? That's probably an easy one. Is there someone in your life that you need to forgive? Dr. David Siemens says there are at least three tests 
that we can take to determine if there's someone in our life that we do need to forgive. And the first test is the resentment test. We resent someone for something they've done to us, and we've never let them off the hook. Bitter towards them because of how they've treated us. And for some, it is a parent. For others, it is a spouse. For some, it is their children. Maybe it's a boss or a colleague or coworker. Maybe it's a coach or a teacher, a sibling or a friend. Is there someone in your life you need to forgive? The second test is the responsibility test. Is there someone that you blame because of what they've done to make you who you are? They did this to me, and I wound up wired exactly like I am, and I can't help it. We never take responsibility for our own faults or failures. And don't get me wrong, sometimes there are traumatic things that happen to us that are not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. But sometimes there are things that we need to recognize. I'm complicit in this. And we need to realize offering forgiveness and taking responsibility are two sides to the same coin. Third test is the reminder and the reaction test. And maybe through no fault of their own, you react to someone because they remind you of someone else. My spouse reminds me of my parent, and I hold this against them and held them hostage because I relate them to one another, and I react and resent just because. Pastor Max Licato once described this inner emotional conflict as a prison, and he pointed out that when we put someone in our jail cell of hatred or resentment, unforgiveness even, we are the ones stuck guarding the door to that jail cell. I mean, think about the Texas prison system. And there in the guard shack is a guard in a five by four shack while there is an inmate in a cell that's 10 by 12, a little more room and maybe even a celly, a roommate. They get to leave every now and then. That guard in the shack is there for the duration of his whole shift, free to come and go and relax. They are always alert, always on guard. And you might be thinking, well, at least their shift is over and they get to go home. And you're exactly right. But if you hold someone in the prison cell of unforgiveness, you are always alert, always on guard, keeping watch over the door to that cell. Anger, hatred, Bitterness. If we are to hold the person who wronged us accountable, it forces us to be on guard and to live our lives stuck in that shack. And we can't have the very thing we long for freedom, healing. So, what's the story behind the rings? in your life? What's the trash that brought the rats in the first place? The Holy Spirit might be saying to you, 
There are things buried deep within you, embedded, that only I can touch and lift out and lead you into freedom. What are those things for you? I often say that my ministry, as if it's mine, is a fruit of my relationship with God. And if my relationship with God is lacking or non-existent, I hope and pray that it is evident. That's the type of hunger I want, not just for me, but for us and our pursuit of God, because the ministry is his, and it's a fruit of our relationship with him. But what if the same thing is true of this invitation to freedom? It's based on how we receive and how we give forgiveness. That is the truth that Jesus is proclaiming in this text, in this parable. And it is available to you and to me. Just this morning, I was thinking about the things that frustrate me and are out of my control. And the only thing that I can control is those things that I can control. So Lord, help me focus on the log in my eye. Remove it in all humility. And let me be a person that knows true forgiveness, freedom, healing, so that I can offer it to others. The unmerciful servant was forgiven that ridiculous amount of debt, but he still lived under the weight of demanding 20 bucks from his colleague. That is not who you are. That is not who we are. And I want you to know that on the cross, Jesus dealt with your pain, your shame, your sin, your guilt, once for all, forever. He was raised from the dead. He ascended into heaven. And when he did, because he did, he went from being someone on the outside of us to the very one who lives inside of those who repent and receive. They confess and find forgiveness and freedom. He lives inside of us. But maybe even better than that, he lives inside of the person next to you, in front of and behind you, and we are not alone on this journey. We can face our pain together. We can experience wholeness and freedom together. It is ours for the taking. And so have you received this gift? And if you have, is it in you to give it away? Because I believe Jesus calls us not to be the bigger person. He calls us to be Christian. And that's what it means to be so full of his love that we can get over the pain of our own life, not get over it, but get through it, and get over the things that have been done to us, get through them, and offer forgiveness so that others might know the same type of healing that's available. That's the invitation. Will you join me as we lean into it this morning? Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name, grateful for your love, grateful for the salvation that's ours, and it's so much more than one time, it's all the time, walking in freedom, knowing forgiveness, receiving it, 
and giving it away. And so, Lord, I pray for the one this morning who needs to know that, that you would let them hear your voice saying, I love you. I pray that that would become real, that we might experience your grace and receive it in such a way that it changes everything. I pray, Lord, that you would move us along this journey of salvation to a place of total and complete healing. And that as you move us along this continuum, we might affect that culture and shift it, shaping it here at Marvin, here in Tyler, for all the world even, because that's the gospel. So come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.